Welcome to the American Council of Christian Churches podcast. Since 1941, Bible-believing churches holding to the great fundamental truths of the Word of God, as held by the historic Christian Church, have worked through the ACCC to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Today's podcast is a message given by Rev. Dan Greenfield at the ACCC's 2023 Annual Convention at Faith Baptist Church in Kittery, Maine. Dan is the pastor of Orwell Bible Church in Orwell, Ohio, and he also serves as Executive Secretary of the ACCC. This message was given Thursday morning, October 26, and is titled, A Holy Plea for Christian Statesmanship. Many appreciate the work and the stand of the American Council of Christian Churches, but many are confused. How could Presbyterians, non-denominationalists, Methodists, Baptists, how could they work together like this? They must set aside their distinctives in some way and compromise what they believe in. When I have represented the council in every kind of church, and it does not matter, whether it has been a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Baptist or a non-denominational, and I give a presentation on what is the American Council of Churches, and I describe its multi-denominational character, in every situation there have been remarks such as, wait, you mean there are actually good Baptists? Wait, you mean there are actually good Methodists? Wait, you mean there are actually good Presbyterians? It is a, wow, mind-blown kind of response. American Council has already addressed our character as a multi-denominational character uh, council in several ways. In 1997, a former president who is now with the Lord, uh, Richard Harris, gave a message that was since published titled, A Plea for Christian Statesmanship. Some years later, another president, John McKnight, he gave a message titled, Unity and Purity, The Fundamentalist's Quest. And then in 2011, we had a resolution passed, The Multi-Denominational Heritage of Biblical Fundamentalism. And at the risk of uh, promoting our stuff too much, there's a whole bunch of them back there. I'd encourage you to pick one up. This is an issue that must still be addressed and correctly understood, not only because of misunderstandings, but because there are brothers who lob grenades at fundamental brethren, such as this, quote, Whoever holds, fill in the theological interpretation or denominational distinctive that's different from theirs, whoever holds that, they're a false teacher. They're a compromiser. They're heretics. They don't really glorify God. They intentionally mishandle the Bible. Unless you think I'm making this up, it's on Facebook. It's on the websites. I've heard it said in public. Is that really the case? If a professing brother isn't of my theological and denomination conviction, is he a false teacher? Is he a compromiser? Is he a heretic? If he is, if that is so, the American Council of Christian Churches is aiding 
and abetting heresy then, apostasy and false teaching. The American Council of Christian Churches is doing that then. We must go to the scriptures. Take your Bibles and turn with me to a passage that has been referenced a few times already. Psalm 133. Psalm 133. In fact, it was quoted in the resolution that was just adopted on biblical revival. Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. It is as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. We thank God for his word. This was a song sung by Jewish pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem for one of their annual festivals, three every year that they had to go up to. And we can just imagine the scene. As they traveled, more pilgrims from different tribes of Israel would join them and they're marching together as it says here at the end of verse 1, in unity, the Hebrew word, yachad, one, unified. All of one heritage, children of Abraham. All worship the one true God, the Holy One of Israel. There was no freedom in Israel under the constitution of the Mosaic law. I know that there was idolatry that happened, but it was not supposed to. And any who did worship contrary to the one true and living God, the Holy One of Israel, was to be put to death. But as these traveled and different tribes joined, with as different tribes, different cultural expressions within their biblical faith, they had a joyous unity together, described twofold. Verse 2 as the ointment upon Aaron's beard. Israel's high priest represented the nation in their worship. And as the crowd of different Israelite tribes traveled together to Jerusalem, unified in the Lord, they enjoyed rich spiritual blessings together. They enjoyed rich spiritual blessings together. There's a second comparison in verse 3. From the dew of Hermon and the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. Hermon is the northernmost part of Palestine. And the melting snow there would feed the Jordan River. A land without water because of drought brings death. Here, do you see the illustration being made? When brethren dwell together with unity, it brings life, enjoyment, and joy. Here we had a crowd of different Jewish tribes traveling together with one heart and one mind to Jerusalem in the name of the Lord. And as they did so, verse 3 tells us, they had great encouragement, help, and strengthened bond. Without that unity. What if they didn't have this unity? These Jews, the different tribes, would, number one, disobey 
the greatest commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, and all thy strength. They were to have an exclusive affection, adherence, and obedience to the Lord, regardless of what was going on in their life and regardless of who they were. They were to continually remember, as Jonah said from the belly of the whale, salvation is of the Lord. They must remember that salvation is of the Lord, not of because of who they were or what they did. Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8, the Lord says, Thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, because he would keep the oath which he sworn to your fathers, for that reason the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So if the tribes didn't love one another in unity, that would make a distinctions amongst God's people, and it would result in something like this. You know, God loves us more than you folks because you're from the tribe of Asher, or you're from Naphtali, or you're the, from the northernmost tribe of Dan. If they didn't have this unity, they would disobey the second greatest commandment. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. God's people were to concretely demonstrate their affection for the Lord by having a warm, genuine affection for one another, regardless of what tribe they were from, their social standing, or their financial position. The rich were to help the poor, and the poor were not to disdain the rich. That genuine warm affection coming from the heart and expressing itself in concrete ways, love, that does not exist alongside of pride, mocking, joking about, ridiculing, scorning, being suspicious about, or holding oneself aloof from. Regardless of their tribe, when God's people went up to Jerusalem to worship the Holy One of Israel, they experienced, verse 2, real spiritual blessings, and verse 3, real strength and encouragement. So what about our current situation? Am I saying Kittery, Maine is Jerusalem, and we've come up for their annual feast? No, I'm not saying that. I'm sorry, my brother Justin. What about our current situation? When we have genuine Christians of different church denominations with different theological interpretations and convictions, we must first understand what and what makes the Christian faith the Christian faith. And here I will appeal to the American Council's doctrinal statement. Genuine Christians believe that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God in the original manuscripts. That is what we look to for authority and for truth. Genuine Christians believe in the triune God who has existed forever as the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Genuine Christians believe in the full deity and humanity of Jesus Christ. He has always been God. And when he took on human flesh, he did not cease to be God, but added to himself a fully human nature. Genuine Christians believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, protecting himself from that passed on sin from Adam, fulfilling those prophecies. Genuine Christians wholeheartedly rest in Christ's substitutionary expiatory death on the cross. It's only by his blood we are saved. Genuine Christians believe that Jesus was raised in the same body in which he was buried and that he is coming again. Genuine Christians believe that the scripture says all are sinners, the total depravity through the fall. Christians believe we're born again, not because of our works, but we're born again by the Spirit, through the Word, and faith in Christ alone. We believe in the eternal bliss of the saved and the eternal suffering of the lost. We believe in the necessity of maintaining the purity of the church and doctrine and life. The necessity of maintaining purity of church and doctrine and life. In a word there, separation. This is perhaps where the loudest objections would be heard from this list. You don't need to believe that in order to be a Christian. Well, there is truth to that statement. But God has said, as we heard last night in Second John, God has said that without separation to him and from apostasy and compromise, it will not be long until your church is no longer Christian. Revelation 2 and 3. I will remove your candlestick from you. Separation is essential to protecting the faith, just as evangelism is essential to spreading the faith. It is essential for protecting the faith, just as evangelism is essential for spreading the faith. The point here is every true Christian, regardless of denominational distinctives, believes these truths. Survey the Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterians, and non-denominationalists here. Do you believe that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God? That God is triune? Go down the list. Every one of them will say yes wholeheartedly. Not believing one of those, however, puts you outside the bounds of biblical Christianity, regardless of your denominational distinctives. If you say, I'm a Methodist, but I deny the virgin birth of Christ, you are outside the bounds of biblical Christianity. So let's consider, why are there different interpretations and distinctives? And then we'll have some fun with what are some of those different interpretations and distinctives. And I will have my flak jacket on for that one. <laughs> Why are there differing beliefs and convictions? There's at least four factors, probably many more, but at least four factors why there's different beliefs and convictions. The first would be the doctrine of soul liberty. And the doctrine of soul liberty says that no person, religious power, or civil authority can force, compel, or coerce belief. No power, external, can force you to believe something. Everyone has a conscience and is answerable to God for his beliefs. 
We read about, we heard about Zwing, or Luther this morning when he stood before the Diet of Worms. By my conscience, I cannot go along. I must, I cannot recant. And then what does Zwingli do with Luther? Because of his conscience, he could not go along. And what did the Anabaptists do with those two? They could not go along because of their conscience. That was soul liberty. A second reason why there's differences is sin and its effects in our hearts. This is going to hurt, but sin causes everyone to have incorrect understandings. Sin causes everyone to make mistakes in judgment. And we don't like to hear that, do we? Because we think, I'm right. And if anybody doesn't agree with me, they're the sinners. But how many have fallen short of the glory of God? How many have broken God's law? And how much of us is affected and contaminated by sin? It is total depravity. And we're thankful for the blood of Christ that washes away our sin and the spirit that indwells us and the regenerating work of the spirit. But sin still dwells within us. And we forget things. We don't know certain things. These are the effects of sin. We must recognize that. A third reason why there's different beliefs is providence. I'm not blaming God. But it's providence. Where you grew up, the church you grew up in. I grew up in West Michigan. And you've heard the colloquial statement of a Baptist church in every corner. In West Michigan, we have Christian Reformed churches on every corner and in between, and interspersed with that, Baptist churches. That's what I grew up in. Christian Reformed church and Baptist churches. Very few Methodists, very few Roman Catholic not putting them in the pale of biblical Christianity. I'm just saying, that's where I grew up. And that has an effect on us. A fourth and last reason, remember, these are, this is not an exhaustive list, but a fourth reason is our conscience. Our conscience. And what is the conscience? The conscience is a God-given aspect of humanity. It's part of your being made in God's image. And by that conscience, you evaluate life according to its provided authority. And so your knowledge of truth and your maturity in Christ affects your ability to assess issues and practices. So if you have little knowledge and little maturity, you have a weak conscience in the words of Romans 14 and 15, you are a weaker brother. You are immature. But it also can be, if you have a lot of knowledge, but you are immature in the Lord, you are a weaker brother. In contrast, if you have lots of knowledge and you are very mature and great maturity, you have a strong conscience. You are a strong brother. And Paul gives us examples of how this worked out in Romans 14 and 15 with the food and days. One would look at that as, I can't eat that. It will make me uh, disobey God, the immature brother. But the mature brother recognizes that that is not the case. In 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, food sacrificed to idols. The weaker brother would see it sold in the market and he'd say, I can't eat that. It's been sacrificed to the idols. But the mature believer recognizes 
that that meat, it is just hot dogs. That's all it is. Don't go into the temple. Don't go eat it there. So what are some examples of differing beliefs and convictions that exist among genuine Christians? And I joked about having the flak jacket on. And I'm actually going to punt and blame Dr. John McKnight because this is where I'm getting my list from. And he had these items in his message on unity and purity, the fundamentalist quests. So are you ready? Differing beliefs and convictions among genuine Christians. How God has preserved scripture. Are there differing beliefs and convictions? The relationship of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. I better put my helmet on now after just those two. The ordinances, particularly baptism. Church offices or church officers. Pastor, deacon, elder, overseer, steward, bishop, trustee. Church government. Episcopal, Presbyterian, Congregational, our hackles are all going up now, aren't we? We are ready to fight. Hermeneutics. Wait, there's more. Are you a covenant theologian or dispensational theologian? Them's fighting words. The views of the end times, the various millennial views. Brothers and sisters, hear me. These differences matter. They are not unimportant. They are essential to local church effort, work, and unity. Essential. This is why there are different denominations within biblical Christianity, and that is a good thing. Because then you can go and worship and serve by your conscience, your understanding of scripture, and know that you are not violating your conscience. The answer is not just ignore all these differences, and we're just going to go in our church, and we're just going to have the lowest common denominator for church life and practice. And so we'll become the Anglo-Baptist Luther Methyl Non-Denominate Presby Church. I've been practicing that one all week. Christianity by the lowest common denominator is a weak and poor Christianity. Christianity fully worked out in churches is where the ordinances are observed, where discipline occurs, and where all of God's word is taught and preached. New believers must be established in the faith, not given merely a basic introduction to Christianity and then just launch them out into the world all on their own. What are some challenges and threats to the Christian faith, regardless of denominational, distinctive, or theological interpretation and persuasion? Well, let's go look at the table back there as some of the things that are listed. But we could just start with gay Christian or the, the quote unquote gay Christianity that many evangelicals are embracing. Partnering 
with unbelief and compromise. Evolution or theistic evolution. Ungodly living. Materialism. Covetousness, gambling. Setting aside biblical authority and replacing it with fill in the blank. Man's thoughts, critical theory, so on and so on. These affect all, all theological and church differences. It doesn't matter if you're from a Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist, or non-denominational. It doesn't matter if you're dispensational or covenant theologian. If it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what your millennial view is. Every one of these affects the root, the source, the, 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 the trunk, if you will, of, Christian, of the Christian faith. That brings us, me now then to the American Council of Christian Churches. The ACCC is a council of churches. It is not an association. It is not a denomination. It is not a fellowship of churches. So what's exactly involved with it being a council? A council convenes to deliberate issues affecting common concerns. A council convenes to deliberate issues affecting common concerns. And so our time in October is called a convention, where we convene and we deliberate issues of common concern. There are 50 states in the United States of America, and the president chooses 10 to form a council of governors. They give advice on issues of National Guard and civil defense. Each governor representing their state retains their distinctive characteristics and government, but they gather to address issues affecting a common concern, namely defense. An association, a denomination, a fellowship of churches that collaborates for church work. Do you see the difference? A council convenes to deliberate issues, whereas a denomination, a fellowship, or an association, they work together. They collaborate for every aspect of church work. And so with each state government in the United States, each state government has special laws and provisions for its citizens. Ohio, which is where my citizenship is now, Ohio has constitutional concealed carry. And what that means is you don't have to, if you're a citizen of Ohio, you do not have to go through any training. You don't have to sign, uh, get any permission from the sheriff. You can concealed carry on your person or on your car all on your own. What about California? California, you have to go through 16 hours of classroom instruction. You have to pass a firing test and a written test, and then maybe they might grant you that. There's some differences between those states, aren't there? But the citizens of each state, no matter their differences, are all United States citizens. The citizens of each Bible-believing denomination, 
no matter their differences, are all citizens of heaven. And the American Council of Christian Churches, then, denominations work together to address issues affecting the Christian faith and the biblical separatist position because those issues affect every true Christian denomination. We are not here to come to conclusions or promote conclusions about Bible preservation, divine sovereignty and human responsibility, the ordinances, church government, hermeneutics, and end times. Can you imagine how long our convention would last if we tried to do that? We are not here to plant churches together. That is a collaborative issue that you do in your association and fellowship and church denomination. That is not what the council does. It is not its purpose. It is not its intent. A historical illustration of this. The first president of the American Council of Christian Churches was a Presbyterian, Carl McIntyre. The second president of the American Council was a Baptist, Robert Ketchum. Do you know anything about the personalities of those two individuals? If you don't, they were not Casper Milk Toasts. They were not, oh, it's fine, whatever. They were strong. They were first-generation fundamentalists. They were fiery. McIntyre was a Presbyterian. Ketchum a Baptist. They differed on a lot of stuff. They were from different tribes and different states, but they fought shoulder to shoulder against the enemy of their souls and their churches. In fact, they preached in each other's churches. Because of Ketchum's eyesight, he really couldn't fly. And so when Carl McIntyre would go to fly for a, a meeting of the International Council of Christian Churches in the 1950s, because Ketchum was the national representative at that time of the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches, Ketchum would go spend weeks at the Bible Presbyterian Church in Collingswood and preach for Carl McIntyre. And they would have fun with each other. When we had our annual convention in Apollo, Pennsylvania, back in 2016, I think it was, 2015, I was told by a brother that uh, there was a convention there at, a, at one time or a meeting, and McIntyre and, and uh, Ketchum was there, and there was a, at one time a great flood that happened. And Ketchum said, and Carl McIntyre said something like, well, you almost got me baptized there, Bob. <laughs> they had a lot of back and forth. They had a respect for one another, but they didn't set aside their convictions or their denominational distinctives. They held them firmly because that's not why they gathered in the council. They had a common enemy. So, how do genuine Christians with differing convictions, how can we work together for the common faith? What's the recipe for that? Five necessary ingredients. Five necessary ingredients. How genuine Christians with differing convictions can work together. Number one, be mature, not immature. Be mature, not immature. Have a mature view of your brothers who have different interpretations. That means have mature speech to them and speech about them. 
Don't call a council brother a heretic because he has different interpretations. That's flamethrowing. If, in your humble opinion, your brother has an immature, deficient doctrinal view, that makes him the weaker brother, correct? And that would make you the stronger, mature brother, right? So act mature. Act mature. A mature brother recognizes that Christians are continually growing in Christ. A mature Christian is patient, loving, kind, gracious, teaching, and encouraging. And by the way, that kind of character combined with clear, calm teaching does a lot more to edify your brother than being a flamethrower. A second ingredient, be humble, not proud. Be humble, not proud. Isn't it easy when you're right to view yourself as God's gift to Christianity? In our pride, we think we're a little closer to God because of our theology. But friend, no one is close to God because of his knowledge wisdom, and understanding. No. The only reason and the only way anyone has access to God's presence and blessing is because of and through the Lord Jesus Christ. A third necessary ingredient, respect, don't ridicule. Respect, don't ridicule. We have the same master and Lord. The same body of truth. So understand your brother before engaging him. So what do you mean that the only right way of baptism is immersion? Or why is it that you hold to that covenantal view? Or I'm not understanding this idea of a steward. Can you explain it to me? And don't bait them to then whack them and hack them off with it. Genuinely understand. A fourth necessary ingredient is to love your brother. Love your brother. 1 Corinthians 13, 2. Though I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have not charity or love, what did Paul say? I am nothing. All your knowledge, all your theology, all your alleged wisdom, wisdom are nothing if you don't love your brethren. And I am not knocking knowledge. I have several earned degrees. I am not knocking it, but what does Paul say? If you do not have love, you are what? Nothing. Because then it's, then it's pride. It puffs up. As a type 1 diabetic... The dish that I miss the most is lasagna. The carbs kill me. My wife, and I'm not just saying this because of my wife, she has and makes the best lasagna. Because she has a special recipe and I'm going to give it to you. What sets her lasagna... Are you mad if I do this, Trish? I should have asked permission. 
What sets her lasagna apart from all others? You can, you can do, do the taste test and you'll, this, there's just something about this. Worcestershire sauce. I don't know how much she puts in, but it's enough to, wow, this is good lasagna. This is what sets it apart. This ingredient, loving your brethren, this is the Worcestershire sauce of the recipe here. It must be there. It sets it apart. A last ingredient, remember who your true and only enemy is. Satan. The forces of unbelief. Let's turn to Judges 12 as I close things up here. Judges chapter 12. When we, think, when we think of the time of Israelite history and the time of the judges, we think of how they left the Lord and everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Judges 12, verse 1. And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and went northward and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon and didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called, ye delivered me not out of their hands. And when I saw that ye delivered me not, I put my life in my hands and passed over against the children of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into my hand. Wherefore then are ye come up unto me this day to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they, the Ephraim, said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. And the Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites. And it was so that when those Ephraimites which were escaped said, Let me go over, that the men of Gilead said unto him, Art thou an Ephraimite? If he said nay, then say unto them, Say now, Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth. For he could not frame to pronounce it right. Then they took him and slew him at the passages of Jordan, and there fell at that time of the Ephraimites forty and two thousand. In the eyes of the pompous Ephraimites, the Gileadites among them of Jephthah were lowlifes. Verse 4. Y'all are fugitives. Ephraim was upset that Gilead didn't ask them to fight with them. And probably also, we wanted to get some of the spoils of war too. Greed. So, how did Gilead respond? destroying their brethren, slaughtered Ephraim, their brothers. They seized the crossing of Jordan and they applied a cultural distinctive. Some could say the she sound of shibboleth and others could not. And so they said the she sibboleth. And so brother killed brother. 
They did that which was right in their own eyes. Contrary to the faith, love, obedience that they should have had to the Holy One of Israel. They acted like Canaanites, not Israelites. Because they didn't get all the Canaanites out of the land. We are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Some different tribes and some different customs. Some say Shibboleth and some say Sibboleth. Within the one true faith of our holy triune God, we must have a holy unity in Jesus Christ. Our battle is not to be with each other. Remember, this does not gloss over when brothers join hand in hand with Ahab. Does not gloss over that. As the prophet said to Jehoshaphat, what are you doing joining forces with the evil one? Some will say to what I have spoken on here this, this morning, this is just going to confuse our church. How can Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists and non-denominationalists, even with addressing these commentators, how, that just confuses our church. I would contend that you have already confused them by making them think they are the only true Christians on earth at this time in human history. It's us four and no more and everybody else. They're just not right. They're not up to our par. When the test of orthodoxy, when the test of orthodoxy is our interpretive differences, our attention can get distracted from what our great enemy is doing outside our walls, the Ahabs and the Jezebels of our day, promoting godless worship and practice. Am I saying lower the standards of your denomination? Don't worry about those interpretive distinctions? Uh-uh, no way. Hold them tightly. Grow in your knowledge of them. But remember those five ingredients when you're with other brethren. When those five ingredients are in place, you are going to learn more. You will be blessed, Psalm 133. You will be strengthened, Psalm 133. I come away from every meeting of the American Council that way. And I'll say one last thing that every time with my American Council brothers is true. When those five ingredients are in place, you will be a better Christian. And what that means is you will become a better Methodist, a better Baptist, a better Presbyterian, a better non-denominationalist. And I'm not just talking about being a mere Christian. I mean in your denominational distinctives because you will, you will understand that better. The result of this is not becoming an Anglo-Baptist, Luther, Memon oh, I still couldn't do it. Yeah. Methyl, non-denomina, Presby, you get the idea. That's not the goal. The goal is to honor our Lord, to hold up his truth, to proclaim the pure faith, and to defend it.